Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family, and thanks for joining us today. I need to give a brief notification that our topic today is going to be talking about various addictions, particularly sexual addictions. So if there's very young children present, you might want to catch us in the podcast online or turn it down a little bit, whatever. I try not to be explicit about anything when talking about any type of topic on the air, but I wanted to give a upfront notification. The topic today is entitled The Neurochemistry of addiction. And right off the bat, I want to give credit to a lot of the information, not the faults, but the good information that I'll be sharing in in this episode to Dr. Mark Laser and his wife, Debbie, who put together a PDF uh, handbook. I don't know how many pages this is. It's not numbered. I'll say maybe 20 pages entitled Neurochemistry of Addiction. You can go online, Google it at faithfulandtrue.com. Dr. Mark Laser, L-A-A-S-E-R. Mark has recently passed away. He was just a fine man. I was taking a Christian coaching course from an evangelical man, and you are supposed to, to graduate from this course, you are to be coached, Uh, and you are to, in return, coach somebody else. And so an evangelical who was actually teaching the whole class coached me in coaching, Christian coaching, and he asked in return, I coach him in Catholicism. He's now a faithful Catholic. And uh, he knew I was interested in helping Catholic men get free of pornography, and I was looking at some various resources that were okay. But he told me, he said, you really want the best in this? You go to Dr. Mark Laser, and boy, did he steer me right. And I haven't changed that opinion in decades. I can remember a very large Catholic men's conference contacted me because of my books, uh, Breaking Free, my booklets, Breaking Free, 12 Steps to Getting Off of a Pornography Problem. And they said, we'd like to come and have you speak on this topic. I says, I'll come to your men's conference and speak. I have a lot of topics to speak to men. But if you really want to speak about pornography, you really need Dr. Mark Laser. I'm just telling you this and just tribute to Mark, who's a good friend, a fine gentleman, evangelical, but very respectful of Catholicism. And this is the closing picture of my mind of Mark Laser after he got done with his talk, he pointed to the purity of Catholic saints, and I think he may have even taken both of his fingers and pointed to this huge statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he says, Catholics, behold your mother. That's Dr. Mark Laser, and I'm going to get into some of the more addictive recovery stuff today, but that's who that's the well that I'm uh, drawing from. Okay, in our last episode, I described how viewing pornography releases powerful neurochemicals. They can leave a permanent imprint on the brain, and most seriously, they can literally alter the physical structures 
within the brain, the neurons and their communication and the amount of area of the brain uh, that it encompasses, and it just grows and grows. So that's the bad news, so to speak, about the neurochemistry of sexual addictions or drug addictions. But here's the good news. The very good news about the physical structure of our brains, and that is we can change the physical structure of our brains. It's called neuroplasticity. Boy, I got that one. Neuroplasticity means our brains are moldable and changeable. And a pornography habit changes the brain's wiring for worse because the brain's tolerance for the neurochemical kick is diminished, and so you need more and harder core pornography to have the same chemical kick, and through that cycle, a habit is created or an addiction. And these chemicals are so powerful, they've been compared to the strongest of drugs because they have a similar type of effect. But the hopeful news is that we can begin readjusting our brains and somebody who has a sexual addiction can begin readjusting their brains in as little time as 14 to 21 days. Now, there are people who have struggled with a pornography addiction for decades, sitting in pews, in every Catholic church that has more than, say, five people attending Mass on a given Sunday, okay? And they've never heard that. And they believe their situation is hopeless. Now, when I say the brain can begin readjusting in as little as 14 to 21 days, I did not say complete recovery from sexual addictions, sexual pornography habits, but it can begin the readjustment in that little a time. And obviously, if you're going through uh, a similar experience with drug or alcohol, what? Uh, you don't go drinking during your drinking recovery or you don't go taking drugs during your drug, drug recovery so there's no activity. Similarly, during a recovery from pornography addiction. So here's, here's where I'd like to focus. And I think uh, going back to that Barna survey in our last episode that I shared with you, that Catholics are 38% less likely to read the Bible than the average American. But yet at the same time, in this survey of 4,000 Catholics nationwide, they were found to be twice as likely to have a pornography habit, okay? So what do we do? Well, we obviously have to change our brains because our brains have been altered by pornography. And St. Paul, when he ran around the Roman Empire, he wasn't going around to visiting monasteries or like a Catholic conference where you have, you know, several hundred faithful Catholics show up for a weekend conference or something. He was going around pagan Rome in many instances. And this is what he wrote to the Romans and his epistle, Romans 12 and verse 2. It's pretty important. It says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal 
of your mind. I won't give you the Greek word for transform, but I'll give you the English word we get almost straight from that Greek word. It's metamorphosis. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, a metamorphosis, and not trying to start with external behaviors and work your way in, but start with a renewal that's deep within that ends up affecting everything in your life, okay? And that comes by a, a transformation, a metamorphosis of your mind. And I think, as I suggested last time, we'd be very wise to look at the Christian discipleship methods of Teen Challenge. They have astonishing success rates for getting people off of drugs who go through their program, a 78% success rate. Now, they do a lot of things, but at its core, I can tell you they do a lot of Scripture. And what they do with Scripture is phenomenal. I'm just supposing in my mind you add a strong sacramental life to the strong scriptural life, and what could you have? But so often in, in Catholic programs, so to speak, for overcoming a pornography habit, Scripture is eh, it's there, but it's just mentioned, so to speak. I wrote two booklets very similar to each other. First one was Breaking Free, 12 Steps to Sexual Purity. And then the second one for young people, because our theological advisors say, Steve, you need to do this for single guys, Young Men Breaking Free, 12 Steps to Sexual Purity. And one third of this little booklet is given to scriptures that will bring forth a pure mind and not just reading the scriptures. This isn't just like reading something and, you know, like you're reading the newspaper or something. It's, it's a meditation that you allow these scriptures to come into your life. You focus on them. You look at them, maybe even memorize some of them so that it becomes just part of you. And what you can do, by the way, too, is read the scriptures, record a little recording on your phone, and then play it back for yourself on your way to work by yourself and whatnot. Here's a verse that I think is rather important. It's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, where it says, the word of God is living and active. This is different than every other piece of information, online or in print, religious or secular. There's nothing else that I'm aware of in all of the universe that can say, I'm talking about words, the word of God is living and and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, this is something that can penetrate to the very core of you, and that's what you want. You want Christian healing to go to your core. So the transformation, the metamorphosis of your mind then can start working its way out. A lot of therapies start with out and try to work in and never get to the core. Even psychology misses the core, the soul. And this is how you get to it, through the living and active word of God. What keeps Christian men and women from getting help from healing from this? Well, 
It's often guilt, uh, extreme shame. And I'm told that for Christian women who are viewing pornography, it's overwhelming shame and a lack of faith in God's forgiveness. So what do we do? We transform our minds. The script is like, I'm too bad for God to really love me for what I have done. I'm too bad even to go to confession. Uh, I'm just not worthy of God or eternal life, or I'm a hypocrite. God doesn't love me. And it's kind of like this little message keeps playing in the brain, and um, you need to overcome that. And that comes, that metamorphosis, because it does need to be overcome. And all human beings have this thing like, how could God love me? Because he knows everything I've done. If you believe in God, you believe he knows everything. Okay. If he knows me, how can he really love me? If he knows the very core of me, how can we know he loves me? And that's why my prescription, I'm good. I have several verses. I'm not going to get through them all. I have some good verses here, life-changing verses. And I'm going to make them available to you for 19.95 today. Just, no, I'm teasing absolutely 100% free, and you can make as many copies as you want for everybody you know in your town, your parish, and everything else. Just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com. Send me the list of verses that tell us that God loves us, that God's a merciful God, and he forgives us. And if you want to keep it short, just say, I was listening to episode 388 of Steve talking in faith and family. Ask the host at gmail.com. Now, if you want a book of the Bible to start with, don't start with book of Revelation. Don't start with Genesis for this stuff. Turn to the first epistle of John in the back of the Bible, right close to when you get to the book of Revelation, 1 John 4. And I ended last time what I regard probably the most important verse for this is that we love, okay? So when we're talking about loving, we're talking about something that goes from the very depths of the inside of us, okay? And, and we don't work from the outside in. When at the core of our being, we sense that we are truly, truly loved by God, we can start working out changes and transformations in our life. So that verse to begin with is 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. We love because he first loved us. And for some reason, our wiring is screwed up. <laughs> it really is. I've been a Protestant pastor and a Catholic layman for 32 years, and I can testify that Protestant folks Catholic folks, secular folks, we all have our wiring messed up to think that we just need to do something and God will love us. And no, it says we love because he first loved us. You want to get on your road to recovery, get that transformation going deep. And here's some other verses right from First John. I'm backing up to chapter 4 and verse 9. In this The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Uh, You want to go through recovery? You want to transform your mind? You want to beat a habit? You want to change your life? 
You don't do it on your own and then God somehow loves you. No, we love because he first loved us. And the reason once he touches us, then we might live through him. It's not like he gets us started and then dumps us to be on our own. We live through him, literally. For a struggle like this, we live through him. Okay, I'm going to move down one verse. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. Uh, That is such good stuff. This is a type of thing that needs to be in you. And if you have children growing up in the 21st century with all the stuff going around them right now, and there's so many traps set for them, the probability is good kids are going to fall into one or more of those traps. They're going to know, need to know these verses, okay? Because then the condemnation, the doubt, the shame, and God doesn't love me and all this type of thing will take over the brain unless it's been transformed by these verses. Make them a part of you, your marriage, your family, and make sure your children know them. Here's another one that I love. Um, in fact, it took me 10 years as a evangelical pastor to figure out what was going on. I'm laughing because it was really stupid. Uh, I did well in seminary, so I thought, well, it's just like load on the theology and everything will be hunky-dory. And it took me 10 years to figure out that the greatest challenge of a Christian, evangelical or Catholic, is to believe in the core of your being that God loves you and forgives you. That's it. Uh, Jesus walking in water, not hard. Jesus rose from the dead, not hard. The incarnation, not hard. God loves me even though he knows me, real hard. That's why you need Psalm 103, which is the psalm that I started using after 10 years as a pastor, almost at the beginning of every worship service I led. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That's just first four verses. Let me drop down. Same Psalm 103 to verse 8. This is as good as it gets. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor requite us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards us. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The way I used to describe this is like, imagine two F-35 fighter jets, uh, kind of back-to-back up in the sky. They're just cruising along at a very, almost like an idling speed. 
And when you get to Psalm 103 and verse 12, they light it up full speed, and these two jets just take off as far as the east is from the west. They just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and never come back. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then there's more, Psalm 103. This is a psalm you should probably mark in your Bible. Are you getting that? As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I'm laughing because I didn't ask my son's permission to share this story because I usually ask my children's permission to share things in public. But here it goes. I, I had a German shepherd in the backyard. And I used to give my German shepherd some pretty good-sized bones. And so my young son was going to take one of these larger bones and give it a toss to play with the dog. He had good intentions. And, well, the bone came through a window <laughs> and smashed it. And, you know, he goes, do you think dad will be mad? And it's like, you know, am I going to disinherit my son, my young son? Am I going to kick him out of the house and say, never come back? because he threw a bone through the window? What do you think? I mean, I'm an imperfect earthly father, very imperfect earthly father, and I can forgive my son for that, okay? I have to kind of keep a straight face even. God in heaven, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who remove our transgressions from us. You see, if you have chains around your ankles from guilt, from pornography or addictions or anything else that you seriously commit and you can't shake it and you got handcuffs from it as well, you are never going to get free from that unless you have that quiet trust in God. Now, at this point, I need to share with, in my experience, the worst part of Catholicism. <laughs> yes, really. It's called the sacrament of confession. Oh, it's terrible. You have to go in, open your mouth, and not only think about how horrible things you've done, but you have to articulate it. Who could come up with something like this? The good shepherd, because he knows that we've got messed up wiring upstairs and inside that want to beat up ourselves condemn ourselves and shame ourselves and doubt ourselves and doubt God's forgiveness and mercy. Because we are weak in faith, Catholic Church took me 10 years as a pastor just to figure out this was the chief need of Christians, to believe that God loves me even though he knows me. Catholic Church for centuries have gone one step further and just made it easier and more objective. So even if you ask God's forgiveness, you think, oh, did he really forgive me? You can have that objective reality that the sacrament of confession brings. And yes, I believe it's the hardest thing in Catholicism. And in many ways, and I'm not saying the Eucharist isn't great or anything, but it's just as a former pastor of people struggling with guilt, I can't say enough for the sacrament of confession. Okay. There's so many other verses I have, Psalm 130, Isaiah, uh, 
Well, let me think. I'll, Hebrews 8.12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So when you come back to God, if something you have confessed, especially if you've confessed it in the sacrament of confession, and you come back and say, God, I've done it again. I mean, I'm not, God knows all things, and I realize that, but in a way he would say, what are you talking about? Because I will remember their sins no more. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 8, I will cleanse them from all, all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And then something that just might pass through our brain and not really register from the Christmas season. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. That's the core of what that whole book called the New Testament is talking about. Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then, if you go to Mass, you'll hear this from Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. These are scriptures, and I gave you 5% of what I'm looking at right now. It's the way really frustrating, but just send us an email, free list for you, askthehost at gmail.com. We're talking about episode 388 of Faith and Family, and I'll get you that list of scriptures, and you want to make these your own, uh, you want to share these with your children, your catechism group. Now, are you saying that meditating on these scriptures, uh, automatically a new brain will develop? No, there's, it has to be coupled with abstinence from certain activities. And for some people, there's a need of counseling and other things. But this is how you get to the core to begin a transformation of your entire life. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 388 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.